Empire. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today we've got Michael Zeldin with us again. We're going to go over the the uh, wonderful impeachment process. Michael, CNN analyst, former prosecutor, and more importantly to people who've sent me letters on this program, a rock and roll fan, which we'll get to later. I have a question okay. for you, actually. So when we come back, we'll talk about the latest in the impeachment. So we're- and we're back. And uh, so, Michael, I guess the, to just ask the question, let's go back to what we've seen so far. Any chance that we'll get witnesses? It's a great question. We only know so far that among the Republicans that Mitt Romney has said he's interested in witnesses. Earlier in the week, in la- last week, we had Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski saying that they were also thinking about it. But lately, the language that we're getting from them is less you know, in, positive about the possibility of witnesses. So my expectation is that Mitch McConnell understands that witnesses is a very problematic matter for this trial. And I think he's going to work very hard to make sure that we don't get them. How can you have a fair trial without witnesses? You can't. But I'm not sure that McConnell or the president really is interested in a fair trial. I think what they want is a quick um, dismissal or acquittal by votes of non-conviction um, so that he can scream in the, on the political um, stage that, that this was a uh, witch hunt and that he was acquitted and it proves the partisan nature of Washington and he's got to stay here to continue to drain the swamp. <laughs> well, he'd be right about the partisan nature of it, but I, I don't think it'd be <clears throat> the Democrats showing that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where, what do you think of what the Democrats have presented so far? So we have to think about what it is that is at play in the impeachment trial. There are two articles. One is abuse of power, and the other is obstruction of justice. The abuse of power argument sort of at its bottom line is the president of the United States, in a conversation with the president of Ukraine, essentially asked him for a political favor that would personally benefit him and was at odds with State Department and national security interests. The second article is that when they started investigating that, he flat out refused to cooperate in any way, shape, or or form. So those are the two articles. As to the first article, I think the House managers made a very compelling case through uh, the transcript of the call with the president of uh, Ukraine and through the testimony of the witnesses who appeared in the House, which was that the president essentially Uh, said to the president of Ukraine, I want you to do me a favor. And there's no two ways around that. That, That's the language that is in this transcript itself. And that, I think, in and of itself, without getting to the withholding of military aid, the withholding of a White House meeting, 
just the asking of a president of another country to do you a political favor that is not in the national interest proves their case. Then they have other yeah, stuff but on top of it. Pro quo, he says. But a quid pro quo is not a prerequisite for the crime of improper solicitation for personal of a pr- benefit. Of a favor, right. Right. Um, the second article on obstruction of Congress, it's you know completely clear that the president did not cooperate in any way, shape, or form. Breaking the tradition of Reagan and, and George W. Bush and H.W. Bush and Clinton to cooperate with investigations of this sort, especially when the investigation is about you. If this was normal legislative oversight, that they wanted to evaluate the U.S. policy toward Ukraine outside of an, outside of an impeachment context, then the White House has a argument to say, well, we're not going to give you this sort of information. We have this executive privilege, deliberative process privilege. But when you're the target of the investigation, it doesn't seem to me acceptable to say, and I'm not going to produce government documents that I have essentially, I think, no legal right to withhold so that you can't make your case against me. So I think that's what the argument that the House Democrats made. I think they made it pretty um, convincingly. We have to wait and not prejudge the outcome until we hear more fully the Trump defense to it. But as a matter of first impression, I think the Trump, um, the House managers rather, made the case against uh, President Trump. And what did you think of the opening statements from President Trump's team, Sekulow, Cipollone, those... Well, they, they, I don't think they addressed the merits um, directly yet. I think we'll see that on Monday. Well, it depends on who it matters to. If it matters to the senators, that's a big open question. Does it matter to the American public to understand what the president did? Yeah, I think that matters, even if he's not um, convicted. There's another aspect to, to this, which is, Exoneration, which is he could be acquitted. Fifty-one senators, you know, could vote to dismiss the case, or they failed to get sixty-seven senators to convict him. But that's not an exoneration. That doesn't say that what he did was acceptable. And I think that they're going to find themselves if they don't have witnesses and they don't have documents and they shortcut this whole circuit that you're going to have a president who's in a partisan way acquitted but not exonerated. And I think from a historical standpoint, that's not what you want your legacy to be. It, there's so much to unpack in that. <laughs> let's start with let's start with that. Is it a is it a constitutional crisis if he's if he's acquitted but not exonerated? He doesn't allow witnesses. He said, you know, I mean he even said the quiet part out loud. We've got all the information. We're not providing any of it. I mean isn't he not admitting obstruction of justice there? Isn't this a quagmire? And and more importantly, does the American public, are we numb to this? Do people care? How's it going to affect 2020? So much to look at. Right. So is this a constitutional crisis? I don't think so. This is what the founding um, uh, framers of the Constitution envisioned, that there would be... Um, uh, in a house with an indictment and a trial with with uh, in the Senate, um, I think that the founding fathers would be horrified to think that you could have a trial without uh, witnesses and 
without um, documents, but it is sort of the interpretation of the Constitution that the majority in the Senate um, adheres to. And so it's not a crisis so much. It's, it's, a, it's just the way the Constitution is working out in these very partisan times. It's disappointing, but I don't know that it's a, 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 a crisis. A crisis would be, I think, if they went to the court and the court said, you must turn over these documents. And the White House, in response to that, said, we're not going to obey a court order. Then yeah. you have, then you have yeah. a crisis because then then the person is just defying the 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 order of the court and but the Senate's given him cover so we don't face that crisis at the moment we don't face that crisis that's correct so you're going to end up if everything holds true to what is predicted to be the outcome a uh, an acquittal um, or a motion to dismiss. Uh, in a trial that had no witnesses or or documents. And the political consequences of it are hard to sort out, but depending on who votes for what. So, for example, the senators who are in states that are highly, highly contested, Maine, Colorado, perhaps North Carolina, if those senators— Maybe even Kentucky with uh, with McConnell? I wouldn't think so. Kentucky is a pretty red state. But there are senators who, if they vote for no witnesses, have to answer to the American public and their constituents who, at present polling, about 70% of them want witnesses, understand. I mean, the House managers did a great job, I think, in saying— a trial has witnesses and documents, and anyone who's preventing witnesses and documents is obstructing what was intended by the Constitution for a Senate trial. And they have to answer, why, why is it that you didn't even vote for those basic aspects of, of a trial? Well, but to their point, I'm going to play devil's advocate here with the, um, with the senators and the GOP. Their stance is that, well, gee, well, you screwed us in the in the house hearing, so we're you know quid pro quo, tit for tat. Yeah, and it may be that. But would is be... that accurate? I mean, that's an indictment process. This is the actual trial. Is it accurate to say that? Well, firstly, I don't accept the proposition that the president was screwed in the house from the outset when they had the initial um, proceedings in the secure facility, the SCIF, what right. Republicans call the bunker. Um, all the Republican members that were on those uh, committees were there, there and entitled to participate in those proceedings. But they say they weren't. But they that's not true. I know. It's but, a lie. And then when they got to the House Intelligence Committee proceedings, um, they, uh, the president's um, position was represented by the members of the Republican Party who were on House Intel, and so they participated. And when it was moved over to the Judiciary Committee, Nadler, the chairman of the committee, wrote to the White House and said, we'd like you to participate in it, and you can call witnesses and cross-examine and all that stuff. And they said, no, it's too late. We're not going to do that. And so the notion that this was unfair leading up to the Senate, I just think is is not correct. It's just not factually correct. Does it but even it? if it, but Ryan, even if, even if, if it were true, even if the House could have given them better access they actually gave them more than Clinton got, but if they actually gave them better rights, it doesn't have anything to do with the responsibility of the Senate 
to try the case. They are, exactly. They yeah. are a under the Constitution, the senators sit both as jurors and judges. It's a funny thing. The chief judge, chief justice of the Supreme Court who presides is really ceremonial. The Constitution provides that the senators shall be judge and jury. And it's not an appeal. It's not like there's a record in the House that is sealed and they can only look at what was done there for them to make their decision. This is the trial. And at the trial, if you're judge and jury in your wearing your judge hat, you say, I want to hear evidence. I don't want to be stuck with just the House evidence. I want my own evidence. And the president actually, were he true to his word, would say, I was blocked from participating in the House, and now I'm going to make my full defense with my witnesses in the Senate to show everyone that I did nothing wrong and to be exonerated in this trial and in history. But so he's complaining that he was shut out of the House. Now he's given full opportunity to say to the Senate, I want my witnesses. I want to call people who will say I did nothing wrong, that that call with the president of Ukraine was perfect, as he says on the campaign trail. But yet he's not calling any witnesses. So you can't miss sort of the hypocrisy of that argument. I think anyone in the know doesn't miss the hypocrisy. I guess the question is, and and it's frustrating as hell, but in the end, it seems like the Senate is making, or the GOP members of the Senate are making a calculated decision that it won't matter to the American electorate. That, that That's right. Or they're making a calculated decision that we don't know what Bolton or Mulvaney or Duffy or any of the uh, witnesses that the Democrats have said have firsthand knowledge and should therefore be heard from what they will say. I mean, for all we know, uh, those witnesses could have devastating testimony for the president. They could also completely exonerate him. Yeah. Um, No one knows what they're going to say because they haven't spoken publicly yet. Um, Bolton said he would, but I I found that disingenuous if he knew that they're not going to vote for witnesses. Well, that, you know, (laughs) some argue exactly that, that that Bolton, knowing that he was never going to really have to testify, can say... I'm willing to testify, which is, you know, sort of a false um, offer of testimony. Just like you'll meet, you may see when it comes to the vote for witnesses, you may see if McConnell has 51 votes, he may say to the Susan Collins or the Cory Gardners, the people who are vulnerable um, senators, go ahead, vote for witnesses. I've got my 51. There's going to be no witnesses. And then you can go back to your home state and say, I voted for witnesses, when they know it was just a sham. It was a sham vote because they knew that it didn't matter. If they had, And no one is better at counting votes than Mitch McConnell. I, I expect that's right. And so, uh, so I said to you, we're not in a constitutional crisis, but we're probably in you know, a, a horrible time of partisanship. You know, I was reading recently an, uh, a biography of Abraham Lincoln, and I thought to myself, my God, we're like in... The 1860, yes. 1865 period. Yes, I mean the, the 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 amount of animosity between the two sides. There's no comedy at, at all between. It's them. all vitriol. Yeah, yeah. It's and, pretty uh, bad. And I, I, having been down there in the Senate and and at the White House, I can tell you it's frustrating as a reporter, um, and I uh, to see the vitriol. And I'm talking about both sides. Neither one of them want to see. Uh, 
uh, both of them are in their bunkers, it seems like. Yeah, and in, in days not too long gone, you would have legislation in the Senate co-sponsored by Orrin Hatch and Teddy Kennedy. Yeah. You would, you would see Ruth Bader Ginsburg of the Supreme Court going to the opera with uh, Justice um, Scalia. I mean, there were friendships that were more valuable than the areas of disagreement. So they could be friends for 80% of their life and disagree politically for 20%. And they always let the 80% trump the 20%. Now, 20% seems to drive everybody else's behavior. Yeah, I don't know if that started with Trump, though. I, I I go back to Newt Gingrich or even I. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it started with Trump, but 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 he's but, certainly taken he, advantage of that's it. That's right. He's escalated it. Yeah, he has escalated. I I maintain honestly that it began with Ronald Reagan, and I believe that Mitch McConnell is Ronald Reagan's legacy. He was elected in '84, one of the you know, only guy to come in on his coattails, and, and God bless Ronald Reagan. Look what he gave us. Yeah, <laughs> deficit. But um, yeah, yeah. The, 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 among other things, the um, and vitriol. The, you know, it's hard to know when this Hatfield and McCoy um, thing started, and, it, and it's cyclical. During the World War One period, there was a horrible partisanship, and they were locking up socialists who were advocating against the First World War and the and the, and the draft, and they were locking them up using these. Uh, horrible sedition laws in the 1860s. Obviously, the nation split in two parts over yeah. over slavery, and that was pretty partisan. But we're in a you know in a modern age of partisanship that is just in my lifetime unequaled. I, I've never seen anything like it myself. Even even more so than I think um, the anti-war years. I mean, yeah, the anti yeah, yeah. I mean, those were pretty partisan times. I was in. Um, in college during during them, and it was it was pretty heated stuff. Our country, love it or leave it. I remember, yeah. But I still think there was some level of agreement that people worked with, whereas now I just don't see that level of agreement. So unpacking the rest of that, where do you see if we don't get? I, I mean, it seems to me like it's a study in foregone conclusions. To get more, to get sixty-seven votes, you can't do it without witnesses. Correct. And without witnesses, it's going to fall down to you know what fifty-three, forty-seven. That's been the vote. You yeah. may no, you may you know you may get um, uh, fifty-two, forty-eight because Romney right. said he thinks there sh- there should be witnesses, but the names of people that they talk about the most are Lamar Alexander from Tennessee because he's retiring, and so it's a free vote. He doesn't have to face the electorate again. Right. But they say the counter-argument to that is that he's very close with Mitch McConnell, and it's not sure that he's going to go yeah. against McConnell. And then you've got the Colorado and the Maine senators who are up for re-election in states that are pretty purple. And um, so those are the four names that you hear about all the time. But on the other hand, you've got... Um, Doug Jones in Alabama and, and, and Joe Manchin in West Virginia, who are in red states, though they're Democrats. And so we don't know how they're going to go. How they're going to go. So you can get four Republicans and, end up, and then losing one or two Democrats, and then, <laughs> and, then, and then you end up again with 53, 47, or 52, 48. 48 yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so if we, and I don't, I, I'd, I'd love to see witnesses. I don't think we will. So if we don't, and he is acquitted, and mind you, not exonerated, but acquitted, 
does he claims it will help his reelection effort. Does it help his reelection effort for 2020? Well, I'm not a great predictor of the future. I have enough trouble predicting the past, but <laughs> the, the 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 reality. I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> you know, the reality is that for his base, the 40 percent of the people who find that he can do no wrong. This is red meat for them because he's going to go out there and say that he was a victim. He likes to think of himself that way. He talks in terms of uh, his being a victim, and this will be um, evidence of that. They tried to run me out of town on a rail, and I stood up and fought them, and, 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 I, and I won, and let's keep America great with four more years. That's, you know— Pretty clear. Ah, the new slogan: "Keep America great right. instead of make America great again." Right. That's you know, they, 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 you can you can see that play out. On the other hand, at the down ticket uh, level, the senators and the congressmen, if America wanted a real trial, if seventy percent of people want real witnesses, and this thing is railroaded through the Senate, and these uh, vulnerable Republicans vote um, with the majority to keep out witnesses and um, documents, then I think that could be politically very risky for them. So it may be that the president gets to um, argue uh, this, is, this is evidence of their intent to just get rid of me since 2016. They've not accepted my presidency as legitimate, and I am beating them, and we're going to continue to beat them and stand by me. But the, Demo- but the, the senators may have a, a more difficult time, and as well, if we saw... Uh, the data from the 2018 election showed suburban women turning against Trump in, in record numbers. If this is further evidence of his sort of bad behavior, his bad moral judgment, that he wouldn't even allow witnesses and documents in his trial, then it may cement that female suburban vote against him. And that's going to be a hard political fight for him to win without that vote. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the Republican strategy so far. So we're back, and I, I guess where I want to start with in this segment, uh, Michael, is to go over the the Republican legal strategy so far. We've seen, what, about two and a half, three hours of their introductory statements, Um Claiming, I, I don't know how how def, how it defended the president, but basically claiming no collusion, no quid pro quo, w- witch hunt, hoax, etc. Uh, so I, I guess let's start with that. What did you think of their opening statements and where it's going to take the defense? Well, I thought they did a nice job um, from a um, oratory and tone point of view. I mean, they were subdued; they weren't um, firebrands. Uh, they laid out, you know, sort of the introduction, sort of like a, a trailer to a movie in a <laughs> sense, um, of what they're going to argue. And I think what it's going to boil down to is they're going to say, with respect to Article 1, the obstruction, the uh, abuse of power, what they're going to say is that the Democrats have it wrong, that the president was concerned with corruption generally, and that he was not asking for something in his personal interest, but rather in the national interest. I think that's what they're going to try to argue. Not an easy argument to make because— Because it flies in the face of facts, but— Well, that's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the other thing is that 
What we heard in the opening round of um, Trump lawyer arguments is that there was no quid pro quo. But as we right. talked a few minutes ago, a quid pro quo is a second step in the sort of the in the crime. That is, if I if I say to you, I want this favor from you, and that's an improper ask in and of itself. Then I say to you, and by the way, in addition, if you don't do what I asked you to do, I'm going to withhold military aid. That's a second, if you will, crime. Right. And so to argue only that there was no quid pro quo ignores the fact of the initial impropriety, asking president of Ukraine to investigate a U.S. citizen for corruption that doesn't seem to, according to the witnesses that testified in the House, can be consistent with U.S. foreign policy. And so it becomes a personal favor, and that, I think, in and of itself is, is problematic. So we're going to have to see how they structure an argument as to abuse of power that says he wasn't abusing power. He was acting as president, unconventional as he is. He was still acting as president in the national interest. The, the, but the point that you, the nuance that you point out, do you think that's going to go a go over the head or b be totally ignored by the GOP in the Senate? I think it's going to be totally ignored. I think they they have, understand it, but they don't care. No, I think what they what what their argument is, which is you know clever if you if you will, um, but disingenuous too, which is to say there is no direct evidence of a quid pro quo. That is, there is no direct evidence that the president said to anybody that I am going to withhold military aid until you do this investigation of the Bidens. And so absent that direct evidence, no quid pro quo, no crime. And you, you want to say, but wait, wait a second. What about the initial crime of asking for the, the investigation of the Bidens? They say, no, 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 don't bother me with that. We're talking about quid pro quo bribery here. That's their focus. Now, the problem with that, of course, Brian, is one, it's not very compelling, but two, the argument almost cries out for witnesses. If they're saying yeah. we have no direct evidence of a quid pro quo, and the other side raises their hand and says, exactly, and if we called Mick Mulvaney and Duffy and Bolton, those are the people who have direct knowledge, and if they say, I was with the president, I spoke to him, he said, look, this is not a quid pro quo, and he said it honestly, he said, this is about corruption, then he wins and he's exonerated. If they say, however, look, the president told me, I'm shaking these guys down until I get what I want. Well, didn't Mick Mulvaney already say that and he tell did. us to get over it? I was sitting five feet from John Carl when he asked the question. Right, but in the context of the trial, I think when they make an argument that you have no evidence of this. That's because it, they haven't given us the evidence. Well, that's, that's, that's the counter argument. And so the, so the question is, do they, by making that argument, invite questions from senators to say to them, excuse me, Trump lawyers, you said we don't have direct evidence of this and therefore we should acquit. Why shouldn't we, instead of just acquitting without the direct evidence, try to obtain that direct evidence and then see how it shakes out? I mean, that's the logical question to ask them if they're saying you have no direct evidence and we know that there's evidence out there. We don't know what it's going to say. Right. It could be exonerating, could be incriminating. Why not 
would be the question. If I was a Democratic senator, and I was um, in my 16 hours of um, time, I'd say, you keep saying we have no evidence, and therefore we should acquit, but the evidence is available to us. Why isn't the better answer, let's get that evidence, and then see whether it necessitates an acquittal or a conviction. Well, because Mitch doesn't want any evidence, but it also begs this question. This is a question I've been asking for a while, and I can't seem to get a straight answer from anyone on it, including the president. But if this were the perfect phone call, first of all, we haven't seen a transcript, although they keep telling us to look at a transcript. We've seen a memo. We haven't seen the actual transcript. But if, in fact, it was the perfect phone call, if, in fact, he believes that it was about corruption and he didn't just want an announcement of a of an investigation but actually wanted to investigate corruption then my question remains and you tell me if it's a valid question or not my question remains do you still want china and ukraine to investigate the bidens well i think they he does um or does he just want it announced well i think that he thinks and it's it's a, that's a dangerous um, phrase. I think <laughs> what he thinks. I have no capacity to to read his mind, but I believe that that he thinks the Bidens are corrupt and that that um, they should be investigated. And you know, one cannot defend. I think if they're honest, one cannot defend Hunter Biden's appointment to that board. Agreed. He 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 had from everything that has been written. Um, no qualifications to be on a Ukrainian gas company, and especially one that was under investigation um, while his father was the vice president of the United States. There's something about that that is unseemly. Um, I don't know if it's, it's but if it's criminal. I don't think so. I, but it, you know, it's a sort of influence peddling sort of yes. stuff that that is commonplace, but but terrible. But the but that begs what? Why didn't he ask for it earlier? Right, he only asked for it when he he could have asked for it previous two years. Trump could have, and that doesn't speak to the question of what Trump did. Well, exactly. But also, I think like the the hardest question for the Trump lawyers to answer for me is assuming um, good faith on the president's part that he really was concerned with corruption and that. Biden's Barisma were just shorthands for a more broad-based corruption inquiry because Ukraine has been historically corrupt. Yeah. Zelensky, the new president, ran and won, and his party won on a reform agenda. And so the president might properly say, "Well, let's you know, I, I hear their, their rhetoric during the campaign. They're brand new in office. Let's just see how they do." And if they can convince me that they really are reformers, then I'll play ball with them. I'll release. I'll give them aid and, and support and 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 other things. But until I have that understanding, I'm not going to do anything. So let's say that's that's the, the, the truth of the matter. I don't have an answer to the question of well, but when the whistleblower complaint was released that said you were withholding military aid from them, the Ukrainians, until this investigation was um, con completed, as soon as that became known, you released the aid. And so 
why would you release the aid? If what you were really talking about was a good faith effort by the Ukrainians to root out corruption and you're going to wait until that's done, what, upon the release of the whistleblower complaint that showed that you were secretly withholding this money, caused you to release the money, other than you know, evidence of a guilty mind, <laughs> knowing that it was, it was improper, that what you were doing was improper. Now you got caught, and so you had to fess up and release the, the, the withheld monies. I mean, for me, I just, well, no, no conditions on the ground in Ukraine changed. Right, and they were vetted. And, and, and yet, the, from one day to the next, the, the aid got released. And the only thing that occurred in between was that the president was revealed to have been withholding this aid pending an investigation of Joe An Biden. announcement of an investigation, not even an investigation. They just wanted him to announce it on CNN. Right. So for me, it's a, it's a very problematic position that the Trump lawyers are in to argue that he was acting in the national interest. And so I'll watch with interest how they sort of thread that needle because it's... Or do they even bother to thread that needle? I think they have to. I don't think... For the senators. For the senators. I think they have to say the House managers have it wrong. This president was not acting in his personal interest. He was acting in the national interest. I just don't see how they don't answer that question. Similarly, I think they have to, on the obstruction of Congress have an answer to the question of why did you not give over any documents or any witnesses? In the, in the first, first two hours, they made a very technical legal argument that there's um, an open question about whether they have to comply with subpoenas unless the full House voted on it before the uh, House committees took it up. And, you know, it's so legalistic that it's, you know, sort of defi- defies credulity. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what sort of argument they can make that, that explains why they withheld so much information and why they had a right to withhold it. When in fe- you know, essentially, if you think of Donald Trump as a, as a defendant in a, in, a, in a normal criminal case, and he has a computer that has relevant information. We don't know whether it's helpful or harmful, but he has a computer with relevant, relevant information. The, the U.S. Attorney's Office issues a subpoena, give me that computer. And he says, no, I'm not going to give you that computer. I'm just not going to give you that. He would be held in contempt. He right. would be jailed. They'd, 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 they'd get a, a seizure warrant. They'd come knock on the, the fellow's door or not, break it open, and they'd take, they'd take the computer, just like they did with Paul Manafort. Right. Imagine if Paul Manafort said, I'm sorry, I'm not no. giving you I'm not giving you any of these any of these documents and they'd say, Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. Sorry. Yeah, um, so. We made a mistake. It doesn't or if you or I did that, we well, could that's not right. get away. We'd with be it. in jail. And so but the, I think right. they have to answer I think they have to answer that question in a way that lay people understand. How does it come to pass that he gets to do this when nobody else in America gets to do this? Because he's above law. But uh, cynically, there are those who say that the, the Republicans should just walk in the Senate and go, you know, their entire argument should be, ah, the Democrats haven't proven a thing, let's vote. Well, we talked about what does that mean for the president's legacy. And if the, the way it's recorded in history is that a partisan majority in the Senate refused to have witnesses 
refused to have documents, moved precipitously for a motion to dismiss because they knew that anything that stretched this out was not in the president's best interest, and they shut it down. I think history will record both Mr. McConnell and the president and, and, and the president's whole approach to this thing in, in, in very bad terms. So you think there, there will be some political blowback? Yeah, and you know most presidents, uh, usually at the end of their second term, but he may not have a second term, and um, most presidents are concerned with their legacy. They have these lists. Who, who was the best and the worst president? You know, and, right. and there, there are a few people sort of down there at the bottom, Hoover, Buchanan, there are a couple of them. You, don't want, you, know, you don't want to be down there at, at, at the bottom, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You know? I, one of the, I forget who, um, Herbert Hoover is often way yeah. down there at the bottom, and, and I think it was Andy Borowitz, the comedian, who said that the um, Hoover family was elated that Trump may actually now <laughs> that he may that Hoover may move up a notch on yeah. on, on the list. I hear Harding's family's really happy too. <laughs> you you ask Grant, he's pretty happy. His family's <laughs> so. On, but but looking at it seriously, there is a legacy. There is a historical record that that will be made and that will be studied. And and you know, if you're the president of the United States and you just railroad through um, an outcome that you can achieve because you have four extra votes or three extra. Votes, I, I, you know, I don't want. So I wouldn't want point, my kids reading that that uh, I was a crook, but I was able to get away with it because I had <laughs> because I had three extra votes. Yeah, I had three other crooks with me. So at, at the end of the day, you're of the opinion that the truth will out. Well, it'll come out eventually. I mean, I think when uh, all is said and done, Bolton will write a book, Mulvaney or Duffy will write a book, and and the Freedom of Information Act documents will come out in an unredacted form and the media will get access to this and they'll cull through it and will it matter uh, it won't matter if, if he's elected um, re-elected and in the middle of his second term everything comes out that he did just what he did was just bad criminal and immoral and unethical and whatever pejorative word you want to use i still think they're not going to resurrect impeachment all over again unless he's you know blatantly committed some crime some additional crime <laughs> right so you know does it matter to him i don't know i don't know what matters to him he you know, is going to re-election be... may be the only thing that matters to him and then it... retribution yeah because i think oh i believe retribution he is a very vindictive person <clears throat> there was a tweet um uh today uh, sunday that was directed at adam, adam Schiff, Schiff. Oh, yeah by by the president which basically said um you haven't yet gotten what you deserve to get um, for what you saw done. that essentially a threat as far as I was concerned. I read it as a former prosecutor and I look at the uh, and your listening audience go look it up. 18 United States Code 1505. The second paragraph of it says essentially what the president did using a communication facility to threaten someone who's uh, conducting an investigation of them is a crime. I think that what he did there was criminal. Um, and I don't know that he cares, but I think that if he is reelected, the numbers of people who will be, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, who, who will suffer um, at, at his hand uh, will be great. And I agree with that. And that'll make 
and that'll make the partisan divide, the partisan divide that we have now, seem like you know a, a, a walk in the park. I and I don't think you have to be a federal prosecutor, merely someone with common sense, cogent, and able to walk and chew bubblegum at the same time, who would read that tweet and go, he threatened Adam Schiff. Right. And you don't have to be a, a, a predictor of the future to, to realize that the president carries grudges. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, why does, why does he— I, why I does, personally can attest to that. Exactly. <laughs> but why does he dislike John McCain so much? I think the reason— or among the reasons that he dislikes John McCain so much is that John McCain received the Steele dossier and gave it to law enforcement. And that Steele dossier was part of the basis for the investigation of him during Mueller. I don't think he's ever forgiven him for what he thinks was an act of sabotage against him. And 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 therefore, he's never said a nice word about John McCain. Even in since, death. Even in death. Um, I think he was also jealous of him, but I, I agree with you. He does hold grudges. I think his whole thing against Obama was what Obama did to him at the White House Correspondents Association. Yeah. Well, yeah, and again, for the listening audience, they Google um, Barack Obama White House Correspondents Dinner making fun of Trump. You'll see that he, and, and I think Obama may have gone too far personally, to yeah. my sense of humor. But Mine he just, too. He just laid into Trump, who was then just private citizen Trump, who was thinking about you know, musing about running for president. And he just made one joke at his expense after the next. And Trump, I think, said, you know what? I'm going to run for president, and I'm going to get even with you. And I think he did run for president, and he did win. And I think that all of the rollback of Obama's policies are payback. Yeah, I agree. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back for some final thoughts. And uh, we're back. And uh, so I guess looking forward, Mike, where we we're talking about the defense of the president. What are we looking for next after that? So defense of president Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, rather Monday, Monday Tuesday. Tuesday. Sorry. Let me say that. <laughs> yeah, that's OK. Can we edit? That? Yeah, sure. Okay. Ask your question. Again. OK. In uh, th- hold on. So in uh, three, two, one. So coming back from the break. Um, uh, now I screwed it up. Hold on. Okay, so we're back. So, Michael, I, I guess, uh, what are we looking forward to this week? Monday, Tuesday, the defense re- argues and then rests. Wednesday, Thursday, two days of questions by senators, which will be sort of interesting to watch because they don't get to ask them orally. They have to write them down and give them to the chief justice, and the chief justice then <laughs> asks them. So it's a little bit cumbersome, but that's the process. So two days of questions by the Senate. It'll be interesting to see what those questions are. And as I said, uh, one of the first questions I would ask is, of the Trump lawyers, why are you so against witnesses? If if he did nothing wrong, and there are witnesses out there with firsthand knowledge of the fact that he did nothing wrong, why are you so opposed to witnesses? So we'll see how those questions go. And then Friday is the big day in the sense that that's when they debate whether to have those witnesses. And so listen to what Trump says on Monday, Tuesday, about why he's— not worthy of of conviction. You listen to what the senators are asking. I don't know if we know which senator asks what question. I don't know right. if the chief justice says, and we have a question here from Senator Kennedy, and he wants to know X, or, or rather, we have a question, and it is this. So 
it'll be interesting to know whether or not they identify the senators. <laughs> right. And then when that's all said and done, then there's the witness debate. So sometime the following week, we'll either see witnesses or we'll see a vote. We could have a vote on Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think they get um, two hours. Remember what happened? Yeah, remember what happened um, at the outset of the trial? Uh, uh, Schumer, Senator Schumer, made all these um, requests to amend the procedures to right. allow for witnesses, one witness at a time. He, there were 11 amendments sought. All got shot down. Correct. But if you look at them, amendment to allow us to get documents from state, amendments to get documents from um, defense, from OMB, for Bolton, for Duffy, for Mulvaney. So in the opening round, they got two hours to debate each motion. So what I don't know exactly on the back end, do they get to resurrect each of those motions and get two hours of debate on each of them. If that's the case, Wolf. then you've got 22 hours worth of, of debate, and that could stretch into Monday of the following week. Right. So th- there we have it. Is there anything we've left out in this wonderful impeachment process? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered um, <laughs> the waterfront of what the object of the House managers were, what the defense of Trump um, will be, what the process that the viewing audience should look forward to over the over the next week. And then when we speak in a week or two, we can recap what the outcome was. Right, and, and look forward. So that leaves me with the closing question. I, I Rock and roll have, fan. So we should have closing questions because <laughs> I got some questions for you. Okay, but here's mine. You can, you can shoot me yours. If you could be on stage and perform with any rock and roll musician who would you want to be on stage with and what song would you want to be on stage for wow that's a great question um so the obvious answer for me is i'd like to be the fifth beetle <laughs> and 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 i and i'd sing any song with them but maybe i pick um Hey Jude, because it's about the longest yeah. song, so I get to be on stage for the most for the most minutes. You know, that would be fun. That would be fun. How or, about you? Well, I, I would I would say yeah, that, that would be one of mine. Uh, the other one would be everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Just or, or Hey Bulldog, because those are two songs that I love by the Beatles that not many people do. Another great song to be if we're if you and I get to be this fifth Beatle is. Um, while my guitar gently weeps, oh, because Eric Clapton got to be the fifth Beatle for that. And um, when you saw it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or the Prince concert for uh, George, what Prince played. Oh my God, that was that a was, beautiful lead. If you, yeah. now Google that, that's yeah. that's one that was absolutely. And his son, George's son, just was blown away by it. And yeah. you you watched that, and it was just a that was a hell of a performance. That so would be a fun one. I was thinking. I was thinking the other day, I don't know who listens to the podcast from a demographic standpoint, but I'm thinking that if um, our children listen to this thing, Uh they must must be thinking like, 
Um, we're two old farts listening to rock and roll. Oh, yeah, like, okay, boomer. Yeah, you know, okay, boomer. Enough with this Rolling Stones and Beatles who haven't performed. You know? <laughs> so is there any, is there, and we never, you know, the, the one person that we've left out in our um, discussions of these old time bands, although some of them are still performing the Stones stuff, that we didn't give enough um, credit to was Springsteen. Yeah. I think he's unbelievable. Yeah. His songwriting skills. His songwriting skills are great. Are un- yeah. Unbelievable. And he puts on a terrific yep. concert. But so in this okay boomer, who <laughs> who who are you, if anyone, listening to now? So I, I made a quick list of, of some of the some of the bands that that I like when my son comes home and he changes all of my presets on the radio. <laughs> And so I have to listen to, to what he... Uh, that sounds like one of my sons, but go ahead. <laughs> he, he said, so, the, the, so I've been taking note of the, of the bands that I seem to not want to change the station on. I don't know how contemporary they are, although I did see one of them in concert recently. I've been listening to uh, The Head of the Heart, Head and the Heart, yeah. um, Lake Street Dive, Death Cab for Cuties. Death Cab for Cuties, I like. Of Monsters and Men. Of so Monsters those, and Men. Uh, and Florence and the Machine, a bit, but um, I go back a little. I got like Jet too. Are you going to be my girl? That kind of stuff. I, I but that was from the nineties and yeah. Well, these these are, these are more contemporary. I mean, I saw I saw Lake Street Dive recently. Did you like them? Oh yeah. Um, the the lead singer has got a voice to to dive. Really? For. Oh, she's unbelievable. I have not heard them. Oh yeah. Let's yeah. see there. Hey Boomer. That's yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and of Monsters and Men are are are, are good as well yes there so there are bands out there that but, sort know, of li- are you listen so are you i mean you're performing you're yeah playing rock and roll music yeah yeah um, I'm, but it, i'm there, recovering from last night right. <laughs> even as we speak are are there bands that you listen to now that are current or you're yes. mostly going backwards no i so. i like to listen to current stuff and i love to listen to the influence of the stuff that i grew up with on current artists but i don't like what I there are a few things in music I don't like. I don't like auto tuning. I don't like uh, sampling. What I like is raw, the raw energy of a stage performance. What I like is the is the musicianship. Uh, I still like to hear a lead guitar, uh, and I love to see a band play that when they're out playing, they look like they're having fun and they engage you to have fun. For me, that's everything rock and roll to me was always about uh, living in that moment of just raw pure energy and i it it to me it erases all stress it creates an environment to have fun and you know it breaks down a lot of barriers too like we talked today about you know the divisiveness of of you know our culture my lead guitar player in my band is a big trump fan but we don't talk about that, you know. And he's a lawyer too. And our and our you know our uh, harp player is a, is a judge. And we just get out, and when we have fun, we have fun, and yeah. that's what I look forward to. Rock and roll and, and sports can be yes great um, levelers. Levelers, yeah. I, I mean, agree. I think here in Washington D.C., the run of the Nationals toward the the, the World Series championship oh. was like the. It was like a kumbaya moment for the city. Oh, and I thank you, by the way, because I got to see them live, thanks to you. I was just watching one of the... And I thought they were going to lose, and they came back and won that game. Yeah, we had a great time. Yeah, it was a great time. So anyway, those are are some of my lists. Head of the Heart, um, 
Lake Street Dive, Death Cab for for Cutie of Monsters and Men, Dawes, Florence and the Machine. These are yeah, those so are they're good bands. They're pretty good bands. So here's my last question for you: Tedeschi Trucks Band is also a that's band a, I listen to a yeah. lot because that guy Derek Trucks can play the guitar. Can, yeah. Oh my well, god. Well, so there that kind of leads me into my next question: If you could play any instrument to perfection, uh, what would it be? And what song would you like to play? Oh well, you know that's a that's a tough question. I was I was on CNN uh, this morning, and I was in the studio with uh, the great Nina Totenberg. Yeah, and and her dad was a, um, a violinist of, of profound talent who played a Stradivarius uh, violin, oh. and I was thinking, and she was playing me something of his playing, and I thought. That would be good. You know, <laughs> I'll take you know be able to play like Itzhak Perlman on on the on on the violin. But if we're sticking to rock to, to rock and roll, the instrument that I've always liked the best, not the best. I like I play anything. I right. play the tambourine for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're invited up on stage to play the tambourine That's with right. us. That's right. Um, I love the blues harmonica. Oh yeah, and um, I, I think I'd be a harmonica player? I don't know how you say that word. A harmonica player, yeah. With an ist at the end. Um, But I think I'd play harmonica. And if you play harmonica, the nice thing about playing harmonica is you really can play with any band. Right. Um, Like Mick Jagger is a wonderful um, harmonica player. Um, So was John Lennon. Yeah, so was John Lennon. Um, So I'll take harmonica and and join any band that will have me. (laughs) And, well, there you go. Well, you're, but you're you're a singer. Yeah. But if you could play an instrument, is there one that you would pick? Well, I play guitar and I play rhythm. I I would love to be able to play a good lead, but I just don't have the patience to learn a lead. Mm. And that's uh, to me. I've always marveled at the guys who can not only play a good lead but do it extemporaneously. Uh, you know, it was. Um, I can't remember who, maybe, yeah, it was Zappa who said he didn't memorize his leads. He just, you know, because that was defeated the purpose of musicianship. He would just go out and invent a lead. I can't do that. Yeah, well, (laughs) next time we can talk about um, lead guitar and and who, which lead guitarist would you be? Would you be... Stevie Ray Vaughan, would you, would you oh, be right. Jimi Hendrix? Would you, you <laughs> or know, George Harrison, or, George, or, yeah. or Keith Richards, or, geez, Eric Clapton. I mean, yeah. the styles are all different. Yeah, right. Yeah. So well, that's food for thought. We'll think about that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and get back to you next, <laughs> next podcast. <laughs> there you go. We'll next podcast. Top, top <laughs> guitar licks. Yeah, there you go. That's a good idea. We'll do that. Uh, the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. Thanks for joining us. I am your host, Brian Karam, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>